0: The Talking Points Podcast is produced in partnership with Fe Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. dot org. Hi, Mike Gibson, coming to you live from ACC 2022, and I'm joined by Tyne Janssen and Suzette Elias. Welcome, you two. Let's talk about your trial, Edit CMD, looking at diltaizum in those patients who have non-obstructive coronary artery disease. Tell you why you tell us why you did it and what you found in your study.
1: Yes, well, uh, thank you uh, to start. Um, we performed the randomized placebo-controlled trial, the Edit CMD trial, as you mentioned before. Uh, which determines the efficacy of dil on coronary vasomotor dysfunction in patients with angina and obstructive coronary artery disease. And as you might know that up to 40% of patients undergoing coronary angiography for stable angina, uh, they do not have obstructive coronary artery disease. And we also know that in 60 to 90% of these ANOCA patients, uh, coronary vasomotor dysfunction is the underlying pathophysiology. And we know that coronary vasomotor dysfunction consists of two major endotypes, uh, namely coronary artery spasm and coronary microvascular dysfunction. And both endotypes can be assessed by coronary function testing. We also know that these coronary vasomotor dysfunction have a worse prognosis. uh, So adequate therapy is paramount. Um, Guidelines recommend the use of calcium channel blockers to reduce symptoms in these patients. And the dil is one of the most frequently prescribed medications, uh, which was also used in the landmark trial, the GORMECA trial. Uh, however, these recommendations are based on dated and small and non-randomized trials. So uh, the effect of dil has never been evaluated in ANOCA patients uh, in a blinded placebo-controlled trial. So therefore, we designed the added cmd trial um, which is a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial to determine the treatment success of dil on coronary vasomotor dysfunction as assessed by repeated coronary function testing. So what we did, we um, included ANOCA patients, so patients with angina and no obstructive coronary artery disease, and we performed a first coronary function test. Uh, there we assessed uh, coronary artery spasm and microvascular dysfunction with the acetylcholine spasm test and ebola stem dilution method. And if patients did have coronary vasomotor dysfunction, they were randomized in a one-to-one uh, fashion to placebo or DLTSM for six weeks uh, treatment period. After that, a follow-up coronary function test was performed uh, to determine the primary endpoint. So that is what we, uh, we did.
0: And what was that primary
1: endpoint? So the primary endpoint was treatment success. Uh, and we defined it as uh, one abnormal endotype becoming normal without a normal endotype becoming abnormal. So.
0: Okay, great. And, is, that, uh, is that clear? Yeah, that, may, that makes sense. And how about symptoms? Were symptoms a secondary endpoint?
1: Yeah, so we also performed uh, that analysis. So during the baseline uh, coronary function test, we also uh, performed uh, questionnaires. So the Seattle Angina questionnaire and the RAND36 questionnaire of quality of life. And we also evaluated that uh, during the follow-up coronary function test. Um, So we have a baseline questionnaires and the follow-up questionnaire.
0: And refresh for our audience some of these tests. Acetylcholine will give you some vasoconstriction in diseased segments, but vasodilation in healthy arteries. Uh, And and talk to us about the thermodilution testing.
1: Yeah, so with the bolus thermodilution method, uh, we try to analyze uh, coronary flow reserve, so the CFR, and the index of microvascular resistance, the IMR. Mm -hmm. And we defined coronary microvascular dysfunction as a CFR below two Mm -hmm. or an IMR above 25. 25.
0: Okay, now there's been a lot of debate about, at least in STEMI studies that I do, about what's abnormal IMR, but you use 25. Okay, great. And what did you find?
1: So we find, a 21% success rate in the DIL-TSM group and a 29% success rate in the placebo group. Uh, so that was not significantly different between the two. So we did find a success also, uh, uh, but not different between the two um, methods, uh, sorry, uh, treatments. Um, if you then evaluate and look onto the uh, subtypes of um, coronary vasomotor dysfunction, we found that uh, a success rate on coronary artery spasm of 8% in the placebo group and 10% in the DLTSM group. And when you evaluate the microvascular dysfunction, we found a 24% success in the um, DLTSM group and a 29% success in the placebo group. So we do see, uh, successful treatment, but we don't see a difference between placebo and diltiazem. TSM. If you then evaluate the secondary endpoint, uh, so we look at the complaints, we also see no difference between uh, angina symptoms and quality of life between placebo and diltiazem.
0: I have to say I'm a little surprised I mean we uh, treat these people frequently with calcium channel blockers. So were you adequately powered to see a difference?
1: Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, and I think uh, it is primarily due to how we defined our primary endpoint, so successful treatment where we included both spasm and microvascular dysfunction. Because if you uh, zoom in on the subtypes of coronary artery spasm. Um, so you have epicardial spasm, microvascular spasm. Um, we see, uh, although the study is not powered for that, we see we do see a reduction in epicardial spasm uh, in DIL-TSM as compared to placebo. So if you look at the epicardial spasm patients, 74% of patients uh, on DILTSM reduces to no spasm or microvascular spasm, and only 6% of patients in the placebo group reduced uh, from epicardial spasm to another endotype.
0: So, uh, Suzette, um, you've been a little quiet. How do you put all this together? I mean, should we continue to use calcium channel blocking agents uh, in these conditions? What do you think?
2: Yeah, well, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a good question. Yeah. Um... Like uh, Tijn already said, I think that uh, one of the main things is that we powered on the whole of coronary vasomotor dysfunction. So all the endotypes um, and um, it, what we do see is that we have a, 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 a well, a hint uh, that um, uh, DLTSM might be working in epicardial spasm. Um, and of course those endotypes are variant. Uh, so they are different. Uh, it's all coronary vasomotor dysfunction, um, but they are different. So I think this is a very good step up uh, study. Uh, we, can, we, we show that we um, could do this, uh, do uh, a study with repeat coronary function testing. Uh, which is rather new. Um, uh, It was safe. Uh, We saw very few um, uh, adverse uh, effects of the the coronary function test, so it's it's doable. Um, But um, I think it would be very good to continue doing research and then power studies on the specific endotypes. That would be very helpful.
0: Right. So... Basically, we need more studies to really yeah. figure this out. And it looks like there, as you might expect, some dislinkage between what's going on on the epicardial treatment and what's going on in the microvascular treatment. We can't assume that if we're treating epicardial spasm, we're going to successfully treat microvascular dysfunction those two look like they may not be linked together which is not surprising to me yeah but um thanks for doing this thanks for a very careful look at this disease which i'm so thrilled you know having invented the two myocardial perfusion grade trying to tell the world that myocardial perfusion is where a lot of the action is so glad to see this (laughs) you it took me 20 years to keep yelling this no one was listening but thank goodness for people like you uh, you're taking us to the next level and, and people are starting to listen to the microvasculature. So thanks for your careful work and uh, keep it up. We'll look forward to your next studies.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: And thanks to all of you for joining us here from ACC 2022.